Charlie Dutton joins me now. He is the portfolio manager of the 91 Asia Pacific Franchise Fund. And we're going to talk about how the investment landscape is changing in Asia. Charlie, thank you so much for joining me. Asia has been a significant success story for many years, especially pertaining to economic growth. The Chinese economy has been a juggernaut and has shown double-digit economic growth for many years. And even in 2021, in a post-2020 COVID year, which has been absolutely disastrous for many markets, it may grow by more than 8%, which is phenomenal. So region really has become a critical investment geography which should be on the radar of investors. Right. Thanks for having me on the on the program. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal what, what's been achieved over the last decade in particular. And, you know, I do think when you look at how the COVID crisis in particular was managed in, in 2020, China was, was one of the few countries in the world to, to actually achieve GDP growth last year, 2.3%. And what's particularly astounding with that, I think, is that they managed it without expanding their balance sheet. So when you look at everywhere else in the world, in particular kind of Europe and the US, they significantly expanded their balance sheets, whereas China has done it without doing that. So you know, the economic policies they're putting in place um, have been very impressive. How does those economic uh, policies they put in place affect investment decisions? Sure. And, and I think, again, this is a, an interesting aspect when you're looking at not just China, but Asia as a whole. If, if you go back 10 years ago and you're looking to invest in Asia, really it was an asset allocation around your view on the world in the sense that Asia was like beta on economic growth around the world. If you thought, if you thought the world was going through a strong period of growth, you'd buy some Asia because Asia is the manufacturing center of the world as being quite cyclical in nature in terms of the resource part of this, um, the businesses out there and also financial systems. It was really quite leveraged to economic growth, whereas you roll forward to today and, and what you've seen happen is quite a structural growth in areas such as healthcare, consumer, IT, which actually is starting to grow independent of the economic cycle. So it offers a very, very different asset allocation decision now. Yeah, it seems as if the economic growth was fueled in the past by infrastructure development, aggressive infrastructure development, but it's now starting to to bear fruit and we see a, a rapid rise in the Asian middle class and the consumer-driven economy offers a lot more investment options because you'll see uh, companies emerge with this uh, massive uh, potential. Completely. And if, if you look at where the the middle classes are really going to grow on a global basis over the next three, five, 10 years. It is very much driven from Asia. And as I say, it's not just the China story. You're looking at the rest of Asia as well, and, and, and India in particular. And yeah, there's a fantastic stat that, that I was reading the other day that, that Asia effectively is creating the equivalent of the population of France in the consuming middle class every three to four years. And, and the duration of that is going to continue to say for, for, for many years to come. Now, the important aspect there is yeah, a key point is when you get to $10,000 per capita, because when you get to that point in terms of um, economics, you move from being consumer staple driven to consumer discretionary driven. And that uh, movement towards, towards luxury spend, but it could be towards housing, it could be towards autos, it could be towards electrical goods, really drives that growth going forward. And as you say, that becomes much more structural in nature rather than cyclical. And, and what we've seen happen certainly over the last decade is a real rise in local brands in, in Asia. You know, you, there's a company called Kuei Chao Maotai, for instance, which many people haven't heard of, which actually is the largest 
alcohol company by market cap in the world. So larger than AB InBev or Diageo or, or Heineken, this is the largest market cap company in the world. And there are a whole spate of businesses like that in Asia, local brands, which are now incredibly successful, riding along this consumption wave. Yeah, in the past, many fund managers looked at Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble and Visa to, to profit from the emergence of the, the middle class in the area. And, and it's good to see the, the local brands coming through. I would assume it is a, a quite a, a wide offering. How do you look at those local brands and does your investment analysis differ from what you use for the bigger established companies in the portfolio? Absolutely. I mean, there are a number of kind of crossovers that we apply on a global basis, but also on, on a local basis. But one of the key areas we're looking at is premiumization, making sure that we're in those brands which are very much regarded as, as the premium brands, the ones which have got the significant market share, but also apply to local tastes. And you know, we spend a lot of time visiting the markets. Uh, we have local analysts who go out and look at these uh, individual positions as well, just to make sure that we are getting those, those niche products. Having, having said that, if you're looking at multi-generational luxury products which have been established in Asia for, for many, many years, we're not looking at what is regarded as the new fad coming through. We're looking at these established brands. So the equivalent in the West would be looking at you know, Hermes or, or Louis Vuitton and looking at those luxury brands again in Asia. Another interesting trend which you referred to in a recent presentation was the significant increase in spend on research and development. In the past, Asian countries were known for producing cheap products. And now it seems like uh, many of these markets also compete on quality. And that's also a, a significant shift. Yeah, that's right. You, you bring up a very interesting point there. Uh, yeah, as I say, when we when you used to invest in Asia, and yeah, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and certainly when I started looking at investing in Asia, it was around manufacturing. It was around looking at who could produce like the lowest cost application, and, and those tended to be the most successful companies. You roll forward to today, and, and one of the stats that you're referring to there is that actually on a cumulative basis uh, in 2020, uh, China's R&D actually matched the amount of R&D spent uh, in the US. And what this means is that not only are you getting significant improvements in terms of information technology and, and um, applications within that sector, but it's also happening within healthcare and a whole uh, product of suites. And what that results in is that the manufacturing which is coming out of Asia as a whole is moving up the value chain and therefore the financial characteristics of these businesses are improving. But they're, in, yeah, they're increasingly coming up with niche products which means that they are globally competitive. And, and one of the sectors you could really focus on here is actually a, you know, in Korea and, and Taiwan is looking at the semiconductor industry. Samsung and TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, they are the largest semiconductor companies in the world. And they absolutely dominate their particular aspects of uh, chip manufacturing. And if you believe that the world is going to need more computing power going forward, these are the businesses which are going to benefit from that. Yeah. Now, many people think of Asia as being China. There are many other markets uh, that offer exciting opportunities. The Indian market has been on the radar of, of many fund managers. Uh, you, you just referred to Taiwan. Is there a difference in dynamics of these different markets? Should you evaluate them differently? I, I think that's a very, a very interesting point. I do think China is, is, is more isolated in nature. And as we know from a political perspective, but also from an economic perspective. Yeah, it has a closed capital account. 
It also has barriers in place with regards you know, various industries. So there is, there's a particular reason why there are no really large internet companies in, in Europe. It's because Google, Facebook, and Amazon came in and dominated. Mm. And the Chinese, I think, took a look at this and went, no thanks, we want to create our own national champions and the likes of Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, who have come to the fore. Um, interestingly, in the rest of the region, they haven't, those barriers haven't been put in place. So you don't really get the same internet giants in, in India, for instance, or Korea or Taiwan. But in those other countries, you do have uh, particularly interesting businesses. So India is very much a consumer-led uh, investment story for us. There are some amazing consumer stories in there, but there aren't that many healthcare stocks or IT stocks within there. And elsewhere in the region, as I say, if you look at Korea and Taiwan, it's more about the IT opportunity set there. So you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a fascinating, diverse opportunity set around the region in these different sectors, in these different countries. So if you are an investor in South Africa or actually in, in, in any uh, geography in the world, and in the past you would have looked to invest in the US, it's a growing economy, maybe some diversification into Europe, and then maybe put just let's put 10% into Asian markets. It wasn't actually a priority. But this seems like that perception should change because uh, Asia is really going to become a dominant force in the world economy. And the big question is, will the, the equity markets mirror that uh, change in dynamics? Rick, you bring up a, a very interesting point there, because at the moment, the equity markets don't mirror the economic size or, or opportunity set that Asia is within a global context. And part of the reason for that is that the Chinese market in particular is underrepresented within uh, MSCI indexes. So as you say, at the moment, it's, it's more of a kind of sideshow. As you say, going forward, though, the, the economic development you're going to see across the region means that you're able to actually allocate capital, I think, on a more permanent basis to Asia. I don't think if, you, if you're looking at the structural growth that you can get exposure to in Asia, putting money into Asia doesn't mean you're replicating uh, gem exposure by being invested in South African stocks or, or Latin American stocks or, or other gem markets, because it does offer a very different return profile. Charlie, let's talk about the fund you manage, the 91 Asia Pacific Franchise Fund. It has performed really well over the past year. It uh, grew by more than 40%, but it came, of course, from a low base uh, due to the crash in March last year. But over the past few years and since inception, it's grown by more than 9%. What is your investment philosophy and strategy for this fund? Sure. So, um, yeah, Asia Pacific franchise is is obviously a, it's a ninety one uh, fund, and I sit within a a capability there, which also includes a global franchise, which I think is is quite well, well recognised in in South Africa. And what we do is we're really looking at businesses which you know, we want to invest in on a long term basis. So, when we're looking at the portfolio as a whole, there are only twenty seven stocks in the portfolio, so it's very focused. Uh, we have low uh, turnover each year which means that we're really looking at these businesses on a four, five year plus basis. What that means is the research process that we have to go through in order for these stocks to enter the fund uh, is extremely diligent. And we're really looking at the sustainability of these bases on a, on a long-term basis. The Asia Pacific Franchise Fund is almost predominantly invested in just the healthcare sector, IT sector, and consumer sector. Those are areas which we believe have long-term structural growth. So what I don't want to have to do, Rake, is at the end of the year, turn to my investors and say, sorry, we've done badly because 
we thought the oil price was going to be at $60, but it's at $40, or Chinese GDP growth was 4%, and we thought it was going to be 6%. We're trying to take that economic uncertainty out and invest on a structural basis without that cyclical risk. I like the financial sector. I think it's one of the most exciting sectors in the world. And it's not apparently on your radar. Only the the exposure to the financial sector, only 9.2%. Is there a specific reason why you would uh, not favor the financial sector? Because usually that sector mirrors the economic performance of a country quite closely. Yeah, no, and, and Rick, I think that I think you've just you've hit it on the head there. That you know, we, we don't want to mirror the economic performance. We want we want to we want to take ourselves outside of that. And if you look at the financial sector in Asia as the whole, as a whole, the banks in Asia tend to be quasi national national banks. So you've got all the all the banking in in China tends to be you know quasi natural quasi uh, banks national banks of of China. The same in Australia. Uh, same predominantly in India, Hong Kong, Singapore. So we try and extract ourselves away from that. Our financial exposure is just to through two businesses. One is called uh, HDFC Bank, and one is, which is in India, which is incredible business, but very fintech orientated. And the other one is, is AIA, the insurance company, which actually has a tie up with, with Vitality and Discovery in South Africa. But again, we're looking at the structural growth of the middle classes requiring improved uh, insurance policies going forward rather than looking at the cyclical nature that the financial sector normally has. Charlie, thank you so much for your insights today. I think many people don't appreciate the economic shift that is happening in the world. Maybe there is a lag, but the uh, investment uh, shift and the investment priority Asian markets present is also increasing and maybe it's a good time to get in there now. If you're an investor now, how much of a portfolio do you think you should allocate to, to Asian markets? <laughs> Rick, I think that that's, that's definitely outside of my expertise. I'm not a wealth manager, but as I say, if you're looking at the, the world as a whole and you're looking at where the, the economic growth is going to come from on a kind of multi-year structural basis, is clearly going to be a lot of that is going to be from Asia. So therefore, I think you do need to have at least some allocation to Asia, but, but obviously that's down to individuals' decisions. Charlie, thanks for your time today. That was Charlie Dutton. He is the fund manager of the 91 Asia Pacific Franchise Fund.